Blog Talk Radio. Caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, how are you? Good. How can I help you? I just wanted to call and say thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, This is John Edward calling. So humbled that you invited me on your show. Thank you so much and good luck. Thank you. you you're the best. All because right. that's, you are All so right. right. You're right on the tee. You have not said nothing that I don't know anything about. Your colors are fantastic. That's wonderful. You know, I feel a lot more comfortable. I felt good tuning in. Uh, I just got good energy when the reminder of the show came across my profile. And uh, the fellow hosting it has had really great guests and good energy. And, you know, it it, it feels really good. Uh, May everybody's heart's desires uh, be divinely blessed. Very good. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for giving me a chance to be on your show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tori, for joining me. Oh, it was a pleasure. We could have done two hours, Michael, you know? <laughs> One more. Okay. Please, it's going to be me. It is you, dear, 727. Good evening, everybody. It's Thursday, March 24th, 2011. If you're new to the show, my name is Michael Carbone, or Reverend Michael. 
And you listen to Be The Light Now Radio. We have some amazing guests all the time to help you. So give us a call at 347-539-5349. It's going to be another one of those interesting and very energetic evenings. So I just hope and pray that uh, the universe doesn't let the energies interfere too much with the audio of the show so we don't lose any calls and we can definitely hear, uh, hear our guests. I'm going to be bringing on in just a moment. We have uh, author and energy healer Candace Talmage with us. Hello, Candace. Welcome to the show. Hello, Reverend Michael. How you doing? Doing wonderful now that we have you on the show with us. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, tell everyone a little bit more about yourself. Well, my background is professional journalism. I've been a professional writer since 1976. But, you know, about... Ten years or so into my career, I just started having some really deep personal issues, and I don't believe anything happens by accident. And when you, even if you don't know how to phrase it, when you really ask for help, the help will appear, and my help did appear. And I ran across a very, it's a, it's a wonderful energy healing method called Sunon therapy. And it helped me really explore. It literally reshaped my own consciousness and energy field. And out of that, a lot of healing and growth. And I met my spirit guides, learned how to take other people to meet their spirit guides, learned how to be a Sunon therapist, and started writing that novel I'd already always wanted to write when I was 13. It just I just had to wait till I was 44 to be ready to do it. And that was back in 1998. So now I've published four novels, have another fifth book in the series. I've published one nonfiction book about energy healing, and I have another uh, book that's yet to be published. Uh, it's about a way to communicate with those who have died or who have not yet been born. That's interesting, communicating with uh, someone who has not been born yet. Well, it, it, it makes perfect sense, because if you can contact the so-called dead and I, I use that in quotes because really the only thing that dies is the physical body. In other words, you have an awareness, an energy, a consciousness, your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs. They do not exist because of the physical body. The physical body exists because of them. So when the physical body dies or ceases to continue, that soul awareness goes into another space, and before you take on a physical body or are born, that same consciousness is present. So you have to think of yourself as a continuum. You're a forever continuum. So why couldn't you talk to someone before birth as well as someone after death? That definitely makes sense. Um, I've managed to do that. Um, actually, I'm going on the second time of communicating with someone before they've actually uh, been born here. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about it. What, what was going on? I'm just curious. Uh, well, it started out. Like I was talking to a friend of mine, and um, I used to be a hairdresser, and mm -hmm. she was she was a client. And I said, "So when are you going to have that baby girl and baby boy?" She says, "No, I've got two boys, and I said I'm not having anymore." I said, "Yeah, okay." I said, "You know, you're having two more children." <laughs> and about a year later, she calls me up, and she's like, "I'm going to kill you." <laughs> I said, why? She said, I'm pregnant. I said, well, I had nothing to do with that one. <laughs> so come to find out, she had the baby girl. 
And all during her pregnancy, I'm telling her, you know, what her daughter's going to be like, telling her to stop eating all those pickles and to stop doing certain things that she didn't like. And she's like, it's not fair. You're you're connected with her more than I am. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's just rather interesting then, to see her when she was actually born. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, just to know, it's like, you know, I've already been talking to her, you know, for the longest time. Right. And then I told her, I said, well, you're going to, you know, I said, it's going to be time now. You're going to have that little boy. She said, oh, no. She said, I've had surgery. She goes, it's not going to happen. And um, about nine weeks ago, she hasn't been feeling good. So two weeks ago, she called me up and she said, all right. She says, I hate you. I said, why? She says, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> well, I guess it's time for that little boy to come. Yeah, and she said, she's, of course, you know, she has to wait a few more weeks to, to confirm that it's a boy. She goes, but she says, yeah, it's definitely that little boy that she saw coming. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and I hopefully they don't see any more after this. I said, no, you just had one girl and one boy coming to you. Yeah. But it's well, very interesting communicating with them. Mm-hmm. And did you see or did you hear or did you know or did you kind of get an understanding? What form did the communication take? It was just a knowing just knowing. All right, that's that's what we call soul awareness, and that's one of the four psychic or intuitive senses that people use. They're, they're with, everybody has those senses, all right? You just get that knowing. It's very strong. You don't know how you know. You don't care how you know. You just know. Um, it's, it's a wonderful way to communicate. My partner is strongest in that knowing, and people who are very strong in that knowing go around saying, I know, and what's really irritating is they usually do know. <laughs> so that's that's interesting that's that's wonderful and my book uh, called the healing circle which is about this method of soul communication has a whole chapter with people who've had absolutely similar experiences to yours in which either they or someone they knew even when they were adopting um one woman told me that she was she was you know sleeping and she they were in the adoption process and you know, she sort of saw sunrise, and then she heard a voice saying, Olivia is coming. And, you know, that kind of woke her up. Um, and sure enough, the adoption people called her up and said, hey, we have a baby girl for you. So she and her husband were they delighted. They came to take the child. What do you name her? They looked at each other and said, well, Olivia, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Because uh, normally, you know, I can do readings for people, and I've been doing it professionally now for a couple of years. But to know... And actually communicate before they're actually born was totally something totally different for me. Well, and the, the idea of communicate I mean, if, if people really grasped this and started to trust it and use it, it would revolutionize parenting. Because think about it. The little rug rat arrives, you know, all wet, bawling. And guess what? There's no instruction manual. You can look and look, but you won't find one. So what you have is this tiny, helpless, complete stranger, unless you've spoken to the soul beforehand. Now, you can also talk to the little guy or gal's spirit guides, too, but it's really helpful to have a direct parent-to-child at a soul and emotional level communication because that child can tell you what the child's purpose is. The child can tell you about any special issues the child is going to have. The child can tell you all sorts of things about what he or she wants to do in this lifetime. If you know that in advance, 
it kind of takes all the anguish and worry out of it, and it helps you understand one thing, and that's really important to understand. Children do not come in as clean slates. They have their own level of awareness. They have varied many lives experience as well. Some are what we call wise old souls, which just means they've had a lot of earth incarnations and they know the drill. Others are relatively new to earth, but they're, you know, they're coming to to have their experiences too. And you realize that since the child isn't a blank slate, you're not going to make as much of a negative impression as you are afraid you might make. Instead, your job is simply to be a steward of that child, to protect and support the child, to show the child guidelines that are consistent and loving, and allow the child to blossom and fulfill that child's potential. I mean, that's that's what you are. It's not you know. It's not like the child's a clean slate, and if you do something, if you do this little thing wrong, then you ruin the child for life. Uh, yes, you can emotionally damage a child, but a child that is emotionally damaged, believe me, has already come in with issues that make it vulnerable to the damage. That's just the way it is. Okay. Yeah. Like um, for the one that I'd seen coming, I told her she was going to be a healer. And it's interesting to see her. Um, she's going to be two years old in November. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see her around people who are sick, and she just goes ahead and reaches for them. Yes. Yes, she has that healing energy. And believe me, they will feel it. They will feel her love. And they will, you know, there's many ways to be a healer. All right? She may be a physician. She may go into alternatives. Or just sitting down with someone and having a cup of coffee and a chat and letting them unburden themselves, that little girl is going to find that everybody, even people she doesn't know, will dump their life stories in her lap because they're responding to her desire to be a healer. Yeah, and it's just uh, amazing when um, when you see the children, you know, especially when the parents are open-minded too and just let them blossom mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. their own little personalities without telling them, you know, that no, this is wrong or, you know, or anything like that. Right, exactly. And I'm hoping that when parents communicate pre-birth, they can they can get over their some of their fears at least and just allow, like you said, just just watch. It's like two parents I have in the healing circle, Mark and Rondi. Rondi was 40 when they found out she was pregnant with twins, a boy and a girl, and they were petrified because she was, you know, 40 is getting on there for having kids. And her husband had a a first wife who died in childbirth or as a result of childbirth, and he was just, oh, he was so afraid. He couldn't go through this again. So they asked us for a healing circle, and Jenna and I and and Mark and Rondi sat in a circle back in, I guess, May of 1993. And we met the twins, a boy and a girl. They were wonderful. And Mark, you know, they're still friends. Mark tells us, that, you know, the little girl, he saw her when she came into our circle. She was a full-grown woman. And he said she is blossoming into exactly the woman I perceived back in. And the little boy is pretty much just like we perceived him in the circle. And they both tell us that because of the healing circle, they were they were fine through the birth. They were fine, you know, and they found that, that they could just relax and just sit back and and give their children guidance without smothering them and allow them to develop in their own way. It really, really helped him. It took took the edge and anxiety off being parents of twins in you know in your middle age. Yeah, that's amazing how how that um, helps them out. Mhm. 
Yeah, and and it's interesting because the healing circle, you know, otherwise known as the seance, <laughs> I hate that word. Um, the healing circle is is a great for people who ask for it and need it. But another side benefit is that the people who participate, because this is a group activity, you don't do it in isolation. You call a group together and you help each other through the process. The healing circle done correctly is one of the most profound emotional and spiritual experiences I've ever had. I've never had the same in a church or an, another so-called religious you know, setting. But when I was in the healing circle or am in a healing circle, I know that we are mortal beings and that there is a God and that there is love because I experience, see it, hear it, feel it. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't like the word actually either of, of seance. It conjures up images of um, sitting up there and having, you know, tables tipping and doors slamming and all that other strange stuff too. Well, all that paraphernalia just tells me that, A, they're not really going to do anything anyway, or they're really trying to communicate with souls, but they don't trust themselves and they don't understand the process. Because it's really quite simple to communicate. <laughs> As people do find out, it's very, very simple to communicate with so-called other side. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, if you look around and, and, you know, notice all the jerks that are running around on Earth, well, guess what? There's just as many, if not more, running around on the other side. All right, you know, the only thing that dies at death is the physical body. So if you were a criminal in this life, you're going to go into the next life, the same mentality. Uh, if you were a jerk, you're still going to be a jerk. Unfortunately, you don't be, when you don't, when, when your physical body dies, you don't suddenly become all perfected, all knowing and wise. You know, that's another belief that some people have. And really, that doesn't happen. The only way you become per all-knowing and all-wise is going through a heck of a lot of experience. <laughs> but death is not the experience that it takes. It takes a lot of living to become knowing and wise. Yeah, uh, the most uh, interesting read I had was um, somebody wanted to communicate, and a person came through, and they were like, oh, do they have anything to say for me? I said, well, I don't know how to put this. I said, the only message I'm getting is I didn't want to talk to you when I was live. Why the hell would I want to now? <laughs> what and they started to... yeah, they started laughing, and they were like, oh, okay, that's them. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that sometimes can happen, too. Or uh, another time um, we were doing a healing circle for a woman, and there was one day in her relationship with this now-departed person that was very special to her. There was one sort of particular moment when it just meant everything. And the poor soul in our circle was going, I don't know what you want me to tell you because it, didn't, it obviously didn't have the same meaning for me. So the poor woman left in extreme frustration because the, you know, the moment they shared had one resonance for her, but it, it just didn't have the same intensity for that soul. So that soul couldn't give us the information that she thought she wanted. Yeah, um, speaking of souls, what exactly is the soul? Well, it has a lot of names, and I think of the soul, and my my guides tell me, and the healers in the Sunan Society tell me that the soul is an energy field. Uh, you know, they have prana and chi and all these all these names, various names for energy, but. Particularly, it's a different kind of energy because in this world, science defines energy as the ability to do work. Steam pushes a piston that turns a wheel that powers a locomotive. 
or the heat from a fire, you know, heats the house. That's doing work in, in the scientific definition of it. Or like a stream of rushing water will hit a paddle wheel and turn the paddle wheel and grind, grind the grain into, uh, you know, uh, flour. But you need a, in order to understand what energy healing really is, you need a different definition for energy. And many, many years ago, I've, you know, I asked them that. I said, this, is, this doesn't make sense, guys, okay? It just doesn't make sense. What is the definition for energy as it relates to energy healing, as it relates to spirituality and the heart and emotions? And, and um, they came back to me with a new definition for energy, which is simply the ability to love. Okay. Think about it. So, yeah. Uh, and what is the um, – I don't want to put it. What exactly is the energy? Uh, I mean, what can we and can't we not do? Well, let's put it this way. If, if, you, if you define energy as the ability to love, you quickly recognize that the greater the ability to love, the greater the energy, which is why God is the greatest or universal mind or whatever label you want. God is the greatest energy of all. That's because God's love is unlimited. It's unconditional. It has no limits on it. It goes everywhere, for everyone, in every instance. So what we are struggling with is limitations on our energy. And that is why we need healing. So when we heal, you know, when you do Reiki or you do some form of energy healing, what you're trying to do is add energy and move the energy around. Um, And... This is why you heal when you have greater energy or greater love because that definition of energy, unconditional love, they're one and the same. Unconditional love is an energy. It's the energy of God. When you add energy to someone's energy field, you can help them heal. So the greater the energy, the greater the love, and the more likelihood of healing. And that's how they're related. And that's the that's really what I uh, what I consider the goal of energy healing is to raise the energy rate of of a hum, the aura or the human consciousness. All right, that energy field that surrounds your body. That's how you heal. And are there different layers to the energy fields? I'm sure there are. Yes, there there are probably layers and layers and. Um, we in, in 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 the Sunon therapy and the modality that I work in, we're not really concerned with the layers of energy, because we don't decide you know where to go in the energy field or what to do. The, the person's guides decide, and then the Sunon guides, the the non-physical healers who work with the Sunon therapists, they come in and they help. So we really are there to just be with the patient, be with the be with the client, and add our love and help the client examine his or her issues. You know, we're not there to direct the therapy or, you know, we, we just trust the process and we send love to the client and then we help the client because, you know, it's not our issue. So we can explore it and, and help the client perceive what the client may not have been able to perceive because of fear or wounds or misunderstanding. But we know that the end result will be greater energy in the client's energy field and a healing so really, consciousness, love, energy, and healing are all directly interrelated. And if you want to raise your consciousness, raise the energy rate in it. 
Because, of course, energy vibrates. Everything vibrates. Vibration is the foundation of our reality and creation. We all know that. We can feel the vibes, literally. When you, when you get that knowing, you are interpreting the vibration of intent. Okay. Yeah, and and um, I've also shown people, too, uh, when you look, if you look at a video through a microscope and you look at the cells even on the skin and you see the cells vibrating and moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're technically it's this is all an illusion because we're not really solid. No, of course not. We're most yeah yeah we're not solid. We are fields of vibrating energy. You know, electrons, protons, neutrons, all just vibrating, and that's important to understand because you know you look at the the thumbprints on your hand or your iris or just any unique physical marker that you have. And that's a direct reflection of your own energy field's vibration rate. And your vibration, each person's vibration rate is unique. Okay. And um, like I said, we can go ahead and change that energy? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, really, you have to understand that if you want to enlighten yourself, if you want to be the light, you already are the light, and you know that. But so many of us feel so unenlightened and so lost and disconnected, and we don't get why it is that we're feeling this sense of disconnection or alienation or I can't seem to find my purpose or I can't seem to get any direction. Well, there's something else in our energy field that we're not. a lot of us are not aware of, and it is literally hampering and slowing and even stopping our vibration rates in portions of our energy field. And that something is self-judgment. Because when you judge against yourself, you literally stop the vibration rate because the odd thing about judgment is that it doesn't vibrate. It's the only thing in the universe that doesn't vibrate, which means that judgment is the only thing that's truly lethal. Death isn't lethal because the emotional and mental and spiritual part of you moves right along. But when you self-judge, you start killing your energy by stopping it or slowing its vibration rate. And if you don't vibrate, you don't really exist at all in any dimension. So, so that what creates blockages? Because Absolutely. you know we always hear about uh, blockages and people's abilities being blocked and all. That's exact. You got it instantly. All those blockages in your chakras, all those blocks that that. You know, because if your chakras are stopped up with self-judgment, which they are, you will not be able to get good, reliable information that you that you trust from your soul senses. You just won't. You won't be able to trust yourself, or the information will come sort of haphazardly, and you can't really consciously direct it and say, "Okay, let's pursue this and find out what it really means." All of this results from self-judgment because it's literally stuck in your emotional body. Why do you think that inner child is, A, a child when the rest of you is an adult, and B, often so wounded and needy and and seemingly just a pain and drag? Well, that inner child represents your emotional body, and that is where your self-judgment sticks to because your emotional body is magnetic. It's not electric. It's the magnetic component of your energy field. Those self-judgments are stuck magnetically. And the only way to remove them and free the block and raise the energy rate and the vibration is to go in and release them. Call them up, examine them, and decide that, hey, I don't need that 
self-judgment anymore and let it out of your energy field. And the moment you do that, your reality changes and you begin to heal. It is an amazing process. I've watched my own inner child grow up into an adult because of it. Uh, right before my eyes, she did that after we had taken care of a really big, huge issue for me. So you can do a lot of things, but it isn't just moving energy. It isn't just meditating. It isn't just chanting or eating certain diets. These all address the energy field, and they're trying to raise the vibration rate. But if you don't get to the judgments, the effect is only temporary. Okay. Is that why also people don't trust their own um, psychic abilities or intuition because of the judgment? Yes. That's a, literally, the, the psychic intuition, whatever you want to call it, abilities, are linked to chakras. Uh, that soul awareness is linked to the crown chakra. It's instantaneous. It dumps right in, and you know it. All right. Uh, vision is related to the third eye. That's the, the brow chakra. Uh, the uh, what you what half of what people think of is clairsentience, because clairsentience tends to combine that knowing with the feeling, but they're two separate channels. The feeling channel is related related to that. Um, solar plexus chakra, and it's a pretty fast one too. And then the soul, the clairaudience or soul understanding is related to smaller chakras behind the ears because sometimes soul understanding comes as a voice inside your head and you have to distinguish, well, am I going you know, crazy and paranoid and schizophrenic or is this a voice that I need to listen to? Um, and it just also comes as an understanding. If, you're sh- if your energy field and your chakras are full of self-judgment and all the blocks and wounds that self-judgment sets up. You will not get the messages clearly. You might not get them at all. And you won't trust what you're receiving. I mean, how many times have people said, I wish I'd trusted my instinct instead of second-guessing myself? I mean, we've all had those instances. I've had them. I'm sure you've had them. And I'm sure our listeners have had them. Oh, plenty of times. Plenty of times. And why we don't trust ourselves and why we feel separate is all those self-judgments clinging like barnacles to our emotional energy, that inner child. When we begin the process of removing those self-judgments, the, the chakras slowly begin to clear out and our intuitive messages become clearer. We become more aware of them on a conscious basis. And suddenly we can say, you know, I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to go with it because it, it, this just seems right or feels right or I just it just hits me right in the gut and that's the thing for me to do or say. And that's a wonderful. That's a wonderful thing because this is literally when you clear out that self-judgment, you make way to take your power back. Because one of the things, unfortunately, self-judgment does is not only does it wound your energy field, but it fragments your energy field. And when you combine self-judgment with a vow, like I can never love again because love always ends in disaster, that was a vow I had, it literally throws a portion of your own consciousness energy field outside. And although it still affects you, you can't heal it until you bring it back in to your energy field. So that's disempowering. That's in the most literal sense of the word. We are we are divided from the energy that should be ours, which is why so many of us feel helpless. So when you take out that judgment and you reclaim your energy and put it back in, 
then you become more whole. And literally, um, when I started this process more than 25 years ago now, it felt like holes that I didn't even know I had were being filled in, and I felt stronger and um, more self-confident every time I did that. And that's from uh, doing Sunan therapy? Yeah, and that's from literally, I mean, it doesn't have to be Sunan therapy. Any method that gets to the judgment helps you examine it, make a new decision about it, free it from your energy field, and then replace it with power, your own power, your own love, will do the same thing. That's the process that the the particular you know approach taught us, but I'm sure it can be done under a different name or a different way. I just happen to know it this way and under this name. But that's really the key to energy healing. It's not just moving the energy or or any of the things. You've got really to address the judgments. Otherwise, the effect will be temporary. Okay. Now, what's the difference? Because um, we had mentioned earlier about uh, you know seance and healing circle. You know, mm-hmm. what's the difference between the two? Well, a seance is often done, um, you know, as a lark, out of curiosity. Gee, is there someone out there? Or maybe you direct your energy towards someone um, to whom you have, you know, with whom you've had absolutely no relationship. You know, a Michael Jackson seance by an adoring fan, okay, or a group of fans. Well, okay, so you're doing the seance, and you're not really sure about, you know, your abilities. So maybe you use a Ouija board, or you, you know, you tip the table or something, and whatever. And you call out to Michael Jackson, and believe it or not, that will ring his bell. You know, you do get energy. Uh, energy travels. It's not limited. So you can. But but imagine you're Michael Jackson, and you're just kind of walking along and being in your own space. And suddenly this group of people whom you don't know and have no relationship with and have never met in your life or your death call out to you and say, Michael, come over here. We want to speak to you. Are you likely to go over Probably not. Probably not, yeah. But I can guarantee you, any spook jerk, um, dead mind game player will be delighted to come on down and play with them, and that's what often happens. So the first thing about a seance is, you know, if you want to contact a person who is dead, make sure you have a legitimate emotional tie to that person, which means you usually have had some relationship with that person, a friend, a family member, you know, something. Maybe a a former teacher you were close with or, you know, just someone, a colleague who died and you want to, that's, that's fine, but you've had some connection to them in some way. There is one exception to this, and that's what we call a, a soul rescue. If you move into a house and and the place, you know, obviously is haunted, well, it's now your physical space, so you have a right to contact those souls and find out what's going on with them and how you can help them. So that's a soul rescue. That that happens when you don't have the usual relationship that you do in a in a healing circle, but you but you need because they're in your space and you want to make peace with them. Um I, it, a hilarious story about that. Um my partner um went to Baltimore um, many, many years ago to visit a friend that she went to uh, school with to learn to be a therapist. And that friend, uh, Veronica, and her husband were renovating a Baltimore row house. Well, you know, this thing is very old, and when they started to do that, really interesting things started to happen. You know, lights would turn on and off, equipment would be toppled over or scattered and everything. So... Veronica knew enough to say, okay, 
who are you? What is your beef? Well, it turns out that the, the soul was Charlie. It had been his house. And they hadn't asked him permission before they started making changes. So they had a little talk with Charlie, who was dead. And they reached this agreement. He would let them make the changes, but he just wanted them to, you know, hey, is it okay if we do this? You know, just he, he missed the mention. And it turned out that he was his wife was unconscious in a nursing home not far away, and he was just waiting to come get her when she finally crossed over. So they asked Charlie, because, because Veronica had cats, so they asked, and the cats were definitely afraid of Charlie. They would hiss and get all upset when he was around. So Charlie lived in the basement. Now, when Jana came to visit, Jana's a coffee holic. So they bought a coffee pot and they bought coffee, and every morning she would brew coffee. Well, the first time she poured herself a cup, she had this amazing presence bearing down over her shoulder, and she heard this sniffing, and she was going, Charlie? And he was going, yes. So after that, every morning she'd pour herself a cup of coffee, and then she'd pour another cup of coffee and set it on the counter, and that would be Charlie's cup of coffee. Of course, he couldn't drink it, but he could sure hover over it. So it's not as scary as it might seem. Um, these are beings. You can talk to them. And if they're in your physical space and you want peace and quiet, go ahead and talk to them. Find out what they want and how you can help them. Make peace with them. They made peace with Charlie. There was no problem ever, you know, after that. Well, that's cool. Um, now, I know if you call out somebody's name, you know, like uh, say you wanted to contact, you know, if they wanted to try to get all of Michael Jackson, well, there's other spirits who existed with that name. How would you know you're getting, you know, you're trying to communicate with the Michael Jackson? Yeah, well, that's the point. Unless there's an emotional connection, you probably will get another spirit that have that name. That's the whole point. It's the emotional connection that will draw these, the soul that you're looking for into your circle. Otherwise, who knows what you'll get. What if um, it was somebody, um, you know, like say for myself, if I, if I was like, you know, I've always wanted to interview Michael Jackson, and what if I held a seance and tried to contact him to interview him? Would he come through or would it be somebody who was eh, not the real deal? Instead of holding a seance to interview him, because it's hard to do, you have to be kind of in a not-so-focused conscious awareness state. You kind of just sort of let go of that so your soul senses are magnified during the seance. You might go and ask your spirit guides to ask his spirit guides you know, for some information. That's one way to do it. And then you can have a talk with your spirit guides and find out what they say. That's how I would do it. That's how I would do it because that way you're there and you can either, you know, record what you what they tell you into a into an MP3 or write it down or whatever form is easiest for you. When I talk to my spirit guides, I I do it a lot just consciously walking around now, but when I started out, I did a lot of automatic writing and I have a, you know, I still do that from time to time when I want a lot more details. Yeah, it wasn't saying, you know, I want to go and interview him. It's like uh, I didn't, really wouldn't want to interview him when he was alive anyway. So it's just, you know, uh, trying to figure out how would somebody pinpoint exactly to communicate with someone. Well, again, if if you if you really – to communicate with someone, you really need that emotional connection. That's what draws the right soul to you because they can feel it. They know who you are. They're very aware of your particular vibration rate. They're familiar with it because they have a tie with you. 
in while they were alive. I mean, while we're walking around in physical bodies, thinking that we're all logical and rational, we are constantly connecting with each other at an unconscious and emotional level. We can't help it. We can sense energy even though we deny it or ignore it or think this is not logical. We can sense everybody's energy and their vibrations. And what we do is we've talked ourselves and and programmed ourselves and self-judged ourselves out of trusting that basic method of communication. What we're we're perceiving is the non-physical information that our physical senses, in the same way our physical senses perceive physical information. That's all we're doing. It's not any big deal. It's not psychic powers, you know. I mean, unless you're talking about a dog, I mean, would anybody ever say he has amazing powers of smell? No, of course they wouldn't. So it, it frustrates me sometimes when I hear people talk about psychic powers because just because you're using your psychic senses, you're really not any more enlightened or all-knowing than you are when you're using your physical senses. It's just four more channels of information that you can use. That's that's you know that's my big thing for for making predictions. I don't think you can make predictions in a in a universe based on free will. Or if you do make them, make them often because the only thing that you can tap into is the energy of intent, and intent can change. So your prediction might have been absolutely accurate when you made it. But if somebody involved in what you predicted has a change of heart or change of mind, it might not turn out, it might not happen, it might happen in a different way, and you'll never be able to say, but I was accurate when I predicted it, because you can't prove it in the physical world. So I you know, I think the psychic senses or the soul senses or intuition, I think they're much better used in healing and self-awareness than in you know making predictions. Okay, uh, to make us a more spiritual and uh, better person. To make us, yeah, more spiritual and better, but just to make us great, more self-aware, because the more self-aware you are, the more loving you are toward yourself, you will automatically be more aware and more loving toward everybody else. Because as a great rabbi once said, love thy neighbor as thyself. We can't love anybody more than we love ourselves. We, we just can't. We can't do it. Because if we don't love ourselves, we don't have love to give into, to anybody else. We don't own it. So one of the things that removing self-judgment from your energy field does, it increases the ability of you, you to love by increasing your energy level. It increases the light in your energy field because that's the new energy, love energy that flows in. And it increases your ability to love others. It's automatic. And, okay. How do we um, recognize these uh, senses? How do you recognize them? Well, just just pay attention to how you perceive. All right? You have that knowing. And that's soul awareness. It's a great one to have because it just comes in instantaneously. It's a knowing and or an awareness. And it's, you know... Fast, rapid, instant, wonderful. It's, that's my third strongest soul sense. I really love it when it works because it takes the guesswork out of everything. Um, but it's not my strongest. Um, vision, clairvoyance, soul vision. It, there's several forms. Like Ed, the great psychic Edgar Casey could see auras very easily. He could just look at you and see your aura. And you can learn to do that with a little practice. But my 
soul vision, which is my strongest soul sense, comes more as a as an inner movie. All right? I don't need to see a movie. I've got one in my head all the time. There are pictures constantly. And that is soul vision or clairvoyance. And those pictures can be simply of organizing my day or anticipating something that I'm going to be doing or experiencing. Um, or they can be, you know, they can tell me and, and show me things that, that might come might come to pass in my future. That's soul vision. Be aware of how you think and feel. That will be a key. Do you walk into a room and either know or sense, feel that there's been an argument there, even though nobody's in the room now, but that anger vibration is still there and you can pick up on it real quickly? Oh, yeah. Um, that's soul feeling or clairsentience, okay? That that will pound right on your solar plexus and you'll know. Another problem for people who are first or second in soul feeling is that they can wake up feeling absolutely great and by noon time they're dragging. The problem is that a feeler's energy, their aura is far more diffuse than, say, a person who is high in, like I am, in soul vision and soul understanding. Our auras are much more compact, you know. If your aura is diffuse, it just rapidly spunts, you know, wicks up all the negativity and the good stuff, but especially the negativity, and it brings it right into you and you feel it, and suddenly you're feeling down. So what feelers have to learn to do is clean their energy, and also if they're feeling bad, the first thing they should ask is, is this my problem or is this somebody else's stuff? And if it's somebody else's stuff, it'll go away. Instantly, mm, okay. Cool. You know, and yeah, and and that's a really that's a useful thing for people to know for people who are high in that soul um, feeling. And then finally, there's pokey Claire audience, which is my second strongest soul sense. Claire audience thinks sequentially, and their intuitive information unfolds step by step. It's sort of like unrolling that jelly roll step by step. And that it comes as an understanding. Now, it can also come as a voice in your head, but for me, that's not been so. Some some it is, like, you know, in that wonderful film, Ghost, the poor guy kept, the poor um, psychic kept hearing the the character. Um, you know, she hear, she heard him. That was Claire Audience. And that's the way she was hearing him. But, you know, it can do, it can in a, unfold both ways. So, you, we are conditioned and programmed in this society and in the West to be, A, not to trust any of this, and B, if we do, we're conditioned to be visual and sequential. And people who are high in feeling and awareness, it drives them nuts because they're not sequential. They don't care. And they're not um, particularly visual. Uh, so, and, and the East is just opposite. The predominant soul senses in the East are that awareness and that feeling. So that's why the East and the West have a really hard time understanding each other. And some of us in the West are open open enough to uh, to be able to understand what's going on and and try to do that communication and uh, just know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of us who aren't real strong in that knowing have have found that as we release self-judgment and learn to trust ourselves more that our weaker soul senses, because I'm dead last in feeling, all right, 
but as I've, I've as I've healed and grown in self awareness and removed some of those judgments, my feelings gotten stronger and my soul awareness very often kicks in now, especially when I'm working with clients. It's great because it's quick, it's fast. You get the information you need and you know exactly what you need to do or say to help the client. So I really like it. It's kind of like it feels like cheating, but it's not. It's just a different way. Cool. Uh, why would we want to communicate with someone who either hasn't been born yet or um, who has um, shifted energies and, uh, as we call it, has died? Well, unfortunately, there's a need. We, you know, people often die, and we we have unresolved emotional or spiritual issues with them. And sometimes we just need to say goodbye. Conversely, when before someone's born, we may have issues that we need to resolve too, or we may be unsure about whether or not we want to continue with the pregnancy. So there's a real need for resolution, and the healing circle or contacting these souls either after death or before birth is a good way to obtain resolution. Now, sometimes, especially in people who have um, died, there are issues, there are really serious issues of abuse, and that's not handled in in the healing circle precisely because it is a group. If you really have serious abuse issues with someone who has died, that is a time when sunon or some type of therapy is much better suited on a you know individual basis. But if you just need to say goodbye, you just need to know they're okay. You just you just have something you just want to tell them like I love you or you know I really didn't mean to do this or whatever. That is great for the healing circle. That's what it's designed to do. And the neat thing is that you have a group of people who are loving and supporting and they want to help you, and they'll be there with you. Okay. And, uh, how could we um, communicate with a soul um, who doesn't have a physical body? Well, you use those soul senses we were talking about because they still have their soul senses. You can still visualize them. You can still know that they're there. You can feel the energy of their presence. You might hear them whisper into your ear or get an understanding about what they're trying to tell you. Um, the people in the circle will do that. Uh, you can do it yourself. But if you're if you're really emotional, it's it's sometimes you know again it's a state where it's harder to trust what you're receiving, and that's where the people in the circle help you, and they say yes, I'm getting that information too. Here's some more information that I'm getting. Does it make sense to you? I mean, it's a it's a process that I outline in the book, and it and it works. Usually, it works very well. I mean, there are always it's not going to work for everybody, and it's not certainly not going to prove the existence of life after death. It's not an experiment. It's a healing method. Okay. Uh, how would uh, you know? How could somebody get their own proof of um, you know life after death? Well. I don't know. You, there's there's a lot of resurgent interest in in parapsychology and and studying mediums and and trying to figure out you know you know is there life after death and if so how what kind of life. The problem is that you can read all this great information and on an intellectual level you can say yeah that makes sense, but emotionally and spiritually it doesn't register with you. Um, the way that you prove it to yourself and that's the only way you'll ever prove it is by ex- by an experience. And it may just be the experience of, of going through a past life. Or it may be the experience of having a um, a resident spook uh, turn your new house upside down, you know, that you just moved into. 
um, that the experience of it is far more powerful than any kind of data or literature or you know meta meta analysis or whatever it is. Experience is the proof. Okay, because I've had some people say, well, you know, aren't you just picking up the energy, uh, you know, that used to be here? You know, how, what's the, you know, uh, what's to say that it, it's still existing? Well, um, what's to say that it's still existing? Well, what's to say that it's not existing? If there's energy still there, then it may best be the energy of the emotions of a soul that has moved on. But you'll find that the energy that's just lingering and is not actually, you know, from a from an actual soul that's in that space there won't be much information in it and it won't respond but if you if you connect with an energy and it starts feeding you with lots of information or questions or feelings then you know you've reached out and touched a soul an awareness okay and the way i also um explain some of it to some people is you know when we look at the stars some of that light from the stars Mm-hmm. As from billions of years ago, and mm-hmm. the star doesn't exist, but we're still seeing the light now because mm-hmm. it, it's changed its energy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, in, uh, you had mentioned earlier too about spirit guides. Mm-hmm. What exactly is a spirit guide? Well, there are lots of definitions floating around on the internet. Um, my understanding at this point is that a spirit guide is a soul just like you or me. When we come into this lifetime, we, if we're smart, and most of us do try to do this, if we're smart, we choose a purpose, something that we want, something that draws us that we want to serve when we're in a physical body. And, and purpose is very broad. It's not to be the CEO of General Motors um, that might be a means to a purpose, but purpose is something like um, expressing creativity or expressing joy, and it could be through music or just through, you know, filling a house with kids and laughing all the time. Um, or create, purpose could be teaching or healing, or maybe doing something like being an inventive invention. Just any sort of broad purpose like that. And if when we choose that. We draw to us souls who say, you know, we'd like to serve that purpose too, but we don't want to be in a physical body at this particular juncture. Can we come with you and be your guides? And you will say yes, no, um, talk about it, and get yourself a group of guides. Now, in in working with people and taking them to meet their guides, uh, we found that, that one person had as few as just two guides, and we found people with as many as eight in what we call their core group, the ones they come in with orig- originally. And these guides stay with you throughout your childhood, right up to the time and even beyond when you when your body dies and you cross over, they'll be there with you when you review your life. Now, are the uh, spirit guides, are they constantly with us, or do they go ahead and leave and then come back and... Well, they're with us. Their their attention is always on us. Although they, you know, they can obviously, um, you know, have conversations with other guides, and uh, you know, sometimes um, Jana has a very good healer named Ma- my partner. Jana has a very good healer named Monta, and sometimes she'll send Monta off and say, you know, go work on my friend or my client or whatever, and Monta will go for a little while. He's not leaving her group. He's just sending some of his energy off 
to help that person at Jana's request. So again, they don't have the limitation of the physical body, which is you know energy can spread itself out and be in you know several locations at once. Okay, and do we ever have uh, different guides coming in? You know, who who you know later on in life? Yes, yes, we can actually. Um, if we choose to, um, if we we can actually consciously ask our own guides to find, you know, suddenly we get an interest, say, in mechanics or we get an interest in growing a vegetable garden. We could literally ask our spirit guides, hey, can you go out and find me a rip-roaring great gardener or horticulturist and bring them into my group? They'll be glad to do that. And they, they're good. They vet them. Um, they find souls who are caring and, and loving and, and will be congenial. And they'll introduce you to the soul, and then the soul will become a guide, and with a guide with ex- special expertise in, in gardening and, and growing plants. It's great. They can. You know, they won't leave you. Your original group will stay with you. But as you as you make new decisions or your interests change and evolve, you can add guides. Okay. Now, what if, um, because of free will, what if your original purpose you, you've changed and, you know, you had a guy that was there to help you with one particular thing, and you're no longer needing their help. Would they still stick around? I would imagine that they would still stick around because you may not need their specific help, but they're always there to love you. That's another thing. They're your friends. You know, you may not – why would you send a friend away? And why would a friend leave you? No, that's so, true. Friends so, are always there for you. Friends are there for you, and that they're they're your friends, and they're there for you. Now you may, or that guide may decide to learn with you. You know, you've 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 gone in a new direction, and it might interest your guide. The guide might want to learn with you. The guide isn't all knowing, all wise, all whatever. They are growing souls like you, but since they don't have a limitation of the physical body, they have certain capabilities that can assist you. Um, I'm always peppering my guys with questions you know find me this please find me that you know get me some information and lo and behold it may take a little while but eventually the information that i want i'll run a quote unquote run across it it'll drop into my lap sometimes literally but it will be there i'll find it and it's it's not that i have to break a sweat doing it it's that the guys have gone out and they found it or if it's not on a physical level they will find it in the energy and bring it back to me I mean, that happened to me once. It's a hilarious story. It's it's about the definition of energy. Um, I was in a Toastmasters group, and you're supposed to sit there and listen to the speech and give helpful suggestions afterward. You write a few comments down, and you pass it back to the speaker. Well, this was back in October of 1992, and I'm trying to be a useful, productive member of this Toastmasters group, and suddenly a soul called Dr. Sunan, who is the head of the Sunan Society, the, the non-physical Sunan healers. I felt him right next to me, bearing down on my shoulder. I was like, what do you want? I'm busy. He said, no, no, this is really important. You've got to listen to this. I was like, I'm listening to this speech. He said, no, no. And he wouldn't go away. And I said, okay, fine. What? What gives? So he gave me this definition of energy. And I just sat there blown away at all the implications of it. And... Unfortunately, I did not tune into the speech, so I really couldn't give any helpful suggestions at the end. But, you know, <laughs> talk about them coming. And, and it literally took them about a year from the time in, in 91 when I said this doesn't work to when they came back to me in 92 and said, hey, we found exactly what you need. 
And interestingly enough, I know where they got it from. Um, he's a so-called Magari. Um, we would consider him an alien. Um, he's a very wise, loving being, and he's actually encountered me in past lives. In past lives, and he's also featured in my novels. <laughs> hmm, interesting. I have to read some of those novels and, and find out more about him. Yeah, he's he's what the human beings who who knew him on Earth would call a mist weaver. And because they they materialize in a sort of what looks like a cloud of mist, and it's actually just very fast vibrating energy that's taking physical form. It looks like mist, so they appear in a mist and they dissolve into a mist, and that's why they're called mist weavers. And Magari is very wise, and Dr. Sunan hooked up with him. Of course, Dr. Sunan is in that lifetime too, but he was a traditional healer back then. He was a physician, so. But anyway, I asked them, and they finally went out, and you know they found these beings, and these beings had the answer for them, or at least an yeah. answer. Now, what's the difference between um, a spirit guide and angels? Are they one and the same? There's there's a lot of discussion about this. I'm not sure that there is a difference, but some people would would say that angels have never had physical lives on Earth. They they remained with God, and they are not. You know, they're messengers sent directly from, from God. I can't argue with that because I think in, in many instances that that's exactly what happens. But I also think that spirit guides can be, quote-unquote, angels, and they can materialize in times of great need, too. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I've seen an angel one time, which is rather interesting. Well, what happened? I'm I'm fascinated. Um, it was when um, I was about 12 years old and I had um, an uncle who lived with us and he had died from lung cancer. And one morning um, we had uh, the bathroom was off my bedroom. Mm-hmm. We had a light in there because, uh, so you know, you could see when you're walking through the room. And I heard my name called one morning and I looked over. I thought maybe it was my mom calling me. And I looked over and it was this solid, bright, white figure standing in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could not see through it, but it was, uh, you know, like looking up towards the sky, towards the sun. It was just a real bright white light. Mm-hmm. And it was just standing there and just mm-hmm. sending me, you know, lots of love and, and uh, you know, and just letting me know that everything's okay. Well, and so it did not scare you? Um, it startled me at first, and then when I looked off to the side, I ended up um, seeing somebody floating on the side of my bed. Uh-huh. But you could, feel, you could feel the love. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, that might have been one of your guides. It might have been an angel just coming down to kind of reinforce the message. Um, but obviously it was some non-physical being wanting to comfort you. Yeah, it was just really interesting to, to go ahead and see that. And, you know, my mom, you know, at first, you know, being, you know, young, I was like, did you just call me? And she goes, no, I just got up to get ready to call you. But, you know, I was just, uh, you know, just comforted to know what was going on. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and that's probably exactly what happened. Um I found that that the more open I become, um the more I recognize that my requests and prayers are answered. The answer doesn't always come in other words, you have to be open to an answer that's different in how you imagine the answer will be, but there is an answer. All right? So it, it may have been that, that you know, somewhere in, inside of you at a very deep level, you were just calling out for comfort, 
and this was an answer to try to comfort you. So, um, yeah, so it's very interesting mm-hmm. communicating with them. It's very interesting. It's a lot of fun, and there's a wonderful story that uh, this is back to Toastmasters again. Um, a guy who had been to Toastmasters for decades and was a very successful salesman um, got up and dissolved into tears as he told us a story about how an angel helped him survive when he was desperately he'd he'd ruptured his aorta and he was not expected to live and they had to drive from one part of Jamaica over the Rio Ocho Mountains at night to get to the hospital. And they could find only one taxi driver to do this and it was foggy. And so the driver was going very slowly and suddenly it's just the fog closed in. And out of nowhere, this stranger in uh, you know, a sort of rough cowl um, came up and offered to guide the taxi over the highest part of the mountain. And he did. He walked ahead of the taxi, and he, you know, visible, but he would go, guided the taxi around the road so that they didn't go off the road because it was very dark and very foggy. And then the stranger left, and they never saw him again. Wow. And that was definitely an angel sent to help him. I mean, the man was 40 years old. He had eight kids. He couldn't die. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't time for him to go yet. It wasn't time for him to go yet, but he'd done a really stupid thing. He got drunk and got very badly injured. Um, he got whacked by the gunnel of a boat. It, it sort of turned over, and it whacked him right in the stomach, and it ruptured his aorta. How he survived, I'd say that's a bit of divine help, in my opinion. I don't know why he didn't bleed out right there on the beach. It's truly amazing how, um, you know, like the hand of God can come down and the angels can come down and they can definitely um, help keep you going. They help keep you going. And, and when that happens, it's it's very dramatic and it's very spectacular and, and it does change you at one level. But sometimes people find it hard to translate that dramatic experience into change that goes along in their lives. And I found that that, that the only way that I found to make that kind of change really permanent is to work on freeing my energy field from self-judgment because that makes it permanent and it makes it it easier to accept God's love. I mean, most people cannot accept God's love. They crave it, they desire it, but they can't accept it. And it's not that they don't want it. It's that their self-judgments will not allow them to accept it or to accept God's help. Now, I suspect that the only reason that this man accepted God's help is that he was so desperate to to live for his children that he allowed it. Because otherwise, I don't think his, you know, most of us suffer from such low self-esteem that, that we have a hard time letting the love in. Yeah, it is kind of hard to, to understand and to accept um, the help that's out there for us. Very much so, and that traces right back to the self-judgment stuck in our energy field. Because we are the light. You know that. You sense that. It's it's a it's a truth for you. And we are. We are beings of light. We are from the light of God. We are God stuff. I know all that. But unless we can feel that each for ourselves, 
unless that becomes our personal truth and something that resonates throughout our being, our energy field, we don't experience the light, we experience the lack. And if you look around on Earth, you will see where we experience the light and where and how we're experiencing the lack. Fortunately, I think that's really been changing over the past 25 years. I think more and more of us are just saying enough of this nonsense. You know, I don't want the game playing. I don't want the hate. I don't want that. I want myself. I want the light. I want to be whole. Yeah, no, um, Mother have kind of, you know, is always believed to a point. Mm-hmm. And always just knew it's like, oh, well, that's just Michael, you know, Michael talking to Michael just knows things. And, you know, I can't explain it. Um, but we were driving down the road one day, and this person decided uh, to pull a U-turn because the light was changing. And went right into our lane. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm slamming on the brakes and trying to avoid hitting. We get within about a foot from each other. And we're literally parallel. And I'm making, you know, cutting hard so I don't hit them. And it just kept right on going. And it was like, he's like, okay, I, I truly believe now. I said, what? He goes, we had the hand of God covering us. Mm-hmm. Just because looking at the two of us going across three lanes of traffic, mm-hmm. parallel to each other without hitting. Right. And it was just like, you know, he goes, anyone else would have been, you know, they would have hit. Well, I would say that your protectors, your spirit guides that, protect you. We're working overtime at that point. Oh, and yeah. Believe, and believe me, God has many messengers, and the guides are God's messengers. And when the whole, you know, it's like a, it's, I call it a celestial buddy system. You have friends with you. If you ever want to do an experiment, I don't recommend it, but if you really want to be convinced, if anyone's listening really wants to be convinced that they have spirit guides and they're really hard-headed, Ask your spirit guides to leave you and withdraw into the room next to you. And be prepared for what you feel. Because I've literally seen people dissolve into tears for no reason other than the fact that they no longer felt their guide's energy close by. And then yeah, they call amazing. them back real quickly. It's, an am- yep. it's, it, it's, a, it's a tough experiment, and believe me, you'll have a hard time convincing your guides to do that because they don't want to leave you. They always want their energy to be close to you precisely. But if you really want to know what cold and alone feels like, ask your guides to do that and then call them back real quickly because you will not like it, even if you are the hardest-headed person in the world. You will not like it. But that's a little experiment you can do just for fun and grins. You won't be grinning, though. No, you'd be like, uh, hurry up, get back over here. No, I need mm-hmm. to be back. Now, we have, a lot of times we have so many lifetimes. Do we still have the same guides each lifetime, or do they finally, do they change? They change. What happens is that, you know, you've gone through a lifetime, you've gone through your life review, you've moved into a non-physical space, and that's where your guides give you a great big hug and say, thanks, it was really helpful. And then maybe some of your spirit guides decide to be born. All right? They say, hey, I'm ready for a physical lifetime. And they go off. And, and guess what? If you've got a f- certain level of, of awareness, you can be their guide. Or you'll go on to a completely different space. Um, so every time you choose to come back into a physical lifetime, you will get a new group of guides. Although okay. you, might have, you might choose to have some come with you again. You know, it's all, it's all what everybody agrees to. It's a, it's a mutual agreement. Um, for love and support. 
Have um, Have you ever pondered the question, you know, where did God come from? I'm not sure I can get my tiny brain around that one. Um, I suspect God always was, always has been, always will be. But I suspect that creation as we understand it, the creation of, of a physical reality, was a major, major event in God's awareness. And I think that God did it. You know, at one time we were all in the womb of God, all right? Every soul that ever was, ever will be, was sort of, I don't know, existing, slumbering, whatever, in the womb of God. This is my understanding again. And then we were set free. You know, the first birth, if you will. Creation. Big bang. Whatever you want to call it. And this is interesting because this is where my own healing is taking me right now. I haven't written about this yet, but I'll talk about it. Creation was, I suspect, as much of an astonishing thing to God as it was to the rest of us. And suddenly there are all these souls who are now free agents outside the womb and the energy of God from which we came. And we, if God had many emotions. You think of all the emotions that we can feel. There's not one emotion that we felt that God hasn't also felt. We can't. We, we can't. You know, we are part of God. We come from God. We reenact God's own struggles and triumphs. And by birthing us, and allowing us free will, God learned about himself, herself, by watching us, by feeling us. And when we floated out into creation for the first time, we picked up on many, many feelings of God's. Some were compassion and joy and triumph and delight and all this good stuff. Some, however, were not so great. Things like dread, helplessness, anxiety, frustration. We picked those up and thought, had different reactions to them, had individual reactions, but we didn't realize that those weren't really our feelings. We just floated into, you know, you're talking about that lingering energy field. We floated into those, and those were God's lingering. I mean, God had a wider range of, of emotions and reactions to having created. Now, I have done judgment release at the deepest levels of my being for a quarter century now. And I got to the point where I was still feeling things and could not, it was just, you know, I couldn't even, it was so much a part of my being that I couldn't even recognize that I was feeling that until I had a personal crisis. So I went through, I've gone through a series of personal crises starting from December of 2009 until, oh, the last one was uh, June of last year, and I hope that's the last one. And what they focused, they forced me to do was recognize that I was feeling, for example, dread. I felt dread even when there was no cause or reason at all to feel that emotion. It was just kind of there. So I was I was thinking about it after that personal crisis, and I was wondering, what can I do about this? Because it just, I can't get rid of it. It doesn't matter what I do. I can't get rid of it. And the answer came booming into me that it wasn't my dread I was feeling. It was dread that I'd picked up from God. 
So I did a meditation. My partner was there to help me. We went into the garden in my heart chakra, and God and I had a little chat, and I gave the dread back to God. And I think that that's that's part of the healing process that's being revealed to me now, is that you will get to a point where you have done a lot of work on yourself, you've really let go of some self-judgments, you've cleared out the vows that are just not useful and helpful, but there is something that you feel that you can't seem to touch. And it will take something pretty dramatic to bring that up. And it was pretty dramatic. And the next, the next, uh, you know, six months after that personal crisis, I fell flat on the, my face in a parking lot. I broke two fingers and smacked my kneecaps really bad. And I literally couldn't get up. And so I, you know, I sat there and I was like, hmm, I can't get up. You know, like the commercial, I've fallen down and I can't get up. Um, I had to have help to get up. And then I realized, you know, going through rehab and getting healing my fingers and all that kind of stuff that you have to do after you have broken bones, that what I had been feeling for a long time was helplessness. So I had another little chat with God. Please take this away. Take the part that's yours. Take it away. And after that happened, it really became noticeable to me that my energy field was changing. In fact, it was changing so dramatically that medications that I'd been taking for some time, I started to have reactions to. Allergies. Oh, wow. Yeah, that I'd never, you know, I'd been taking it fine, and then suddenly I started to have a reaction to it, so I couldn't take it anymore. So, let's go. And in November, on Thanksgiving morning, as a matter of fact, I was lying still, meditating, expressing thanks to God, and for some reason it just i became clear to me that i you know anxiety again was something that i'd never been able to get rid of completely no matter what kind of work i did so i gave that back to god with the deepest gratitude um this past thanksgiving and the latest thing that i gave back to god was frustration and that's made a huge difference I didn't even know I was feeling it except in the, in the you know in the garden meditation. I, oh yes, frustration. So I gave that back to God, and I think that all of us eventually will have to do this simply because we can't heal emotions that are not ours, whether they're our friends or our acquaintances or our clients or God's. We can't heal them. If if the emotion belongs to you, you can heal it or enjoy it, depending on what it is. But if it's not yours, you have to give it back to God or that person. I mean, one of the things we do in the in the in taking back, you know, in releasing judgment, taking back your energy is we give that soul back the energy that you took by mistake. So this is all a process of untangling mixed up energies and putting them where they belong so that they can heal, evolve, grow and be happy. Okay. Um I have a question from our chat room. Sure. They wanted to know how can you get uh you know your angels and guides how can you get them to show you a sign of who exactly is with you and how you can know who they are. Well, the best way to do it is to meet your guides. And this the method that we use, my partner taught me and her guides taught her because she did some training as an energy healer um in a slightly different energy healing method. And 
she was very unsatisfied with the experience she had when she was taken to meet her guides. And afterwards, her guides came to her and said, hey, this is not the way we want to do it. So they gave her a method, and we actually go up into the energy in a light-altered state or subjective-altered state. It's very loving. You treat yourself like your own best friend. And it's just a slight focus shift away from conscious awareness. So you're fully aware. You're not so far out that your conscious mind can't recognize or understand. And what you do is the guides come. They come really close to you. They come in a circle, and each guide steps forward. And you can ask, if you trust your soul senses, you can do this for yourself. Just ask them to come to the group and step forward. Because each guide will give you a name that the guide wants to be called. And then they'll tell you, hey, I'm your protector, or I'm your spiritual growth guide, or I'm here to help you with music because that's your passion, or I'm here you, you know, to help you with gardening because that's your passion. Um, and your spiritual growth guide is here to help you serve your purpose and become more spiritually aware. You know, the better person, um, the kinder person, whatever. That's your spiritual growth guide's focus. So... Um, it, each guide can come and spend some time with you. They'll bring you a little gift. They'll let you feel their energy, you know, sort of away from the group. And then they'll step back and they'll take turns doing this. And that's a meet your guide medita- meditation. And it can take anywhere from, you know, depending on how many guides are in your core group, it can take 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And I recommend that if you're doing that, get very comfortable. Like if you sit back in a recliner, Put a pen and paper right next to your arm. You don't want to do it while you're in the meditation unless you can get back into the energy quickly. But afterwards, jot down some guide names and any things that you can remember when you were doing in the meditation. When I do it with my when I do it with my clients, we you know if we do it over the phone, we can either do it in the person. But if they don't live in the, my area, we do it over the phone, and I record the meditation. Now, sometimes there's a lot of static on the meditation, and other times it's a lot better. So it's always good to have a you know a pen and paper ready to just jot, jot down notes. But then it, that doesn't stop. That starts the process because you you, you want to be open to them every day. You want to chat with them every day. Uh, you can do some automatic writing if that helps. You can just sit and meditate. I mean, people who are strong in that kind of knowing, um, it's a lot easier for them to communicate with their guides and know that they're doing that. The only problem is that they only they, they don't they don't have a lot of patience and they don't tend to stay in the energy long enough to get the entire answer. Now, people who are slower like me, because soul understanding is the slowest of the four soul senses. They'll stay in the energy, but it'll take them a little bit longer to get comfortable with the process. Does uh, that help? Can, yeah. Can you um, can you also ask them to let you know in, in a dream? Yes, they can come in a dream, absolutely, and they will come in a dream if you ask them to sh- to show. The problem is that you're asleep, and you know you'll have to hope that you remember the dream and you know put your pad and paper there and write it down when you wake up. But again, dreams tend to be symbolic. And symbolic visual information, it has to be decoded. So it's not, it's a it's a slower process, and that might work for some people. Some people might want to do it that way. But if you want to get the whole group at once, then you try to do it at a, in a sort of waking meditation state, you know, a slight altered state. It's nothing nothing heavy duty. Okay. Now, isn't there a way that you can ask them to um, help you to remember your dream? 
yes, you can ask them to help you remember your dreams, and they will they will do their best. But you know, sometimes it'll work, and sometimes it might not work. That just depends. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> again, the, the, you know, be, lucid dreaming and, and learning that's kind of a long process. I personally don't have much patience for it. I mean, I have dreams that I do remember. Um, some of them have been prophetic, um, but they're they're never concerned about other people's stuff. They're always focused on you know my issues that I'm trying to clean up. And uh, are you able to help other people to find out who their guides are? Oh yeah, I can do that. That's that's a fun thing to do. That's a really fun thing. Okay. Yeah, I've, I know um, my guides keep coming in and out whenever I need them, and I've uh, they keep on changing. Do they change forms? Um, not usually. Well, you know, a guide can take any form the guide wants to because it doesn't you know the guide doesn't have a physical body so whatever i mean i know of guides that present themselves like there were two jokesters because most people have jokesters in their group or at least one one guide whose whose mission is humor and to keep things light and to keep you you know to help you see the absurdity of things and and not get too serious and gloomy um and she had two jokesters because she was always telling jokes i mean she was the so-called life of the party um, her guides show themselves as Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, they were great. And during Christmas, Bullwinkle's antlers would have Christmas lights. Oh, it's a practical joker. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very much. Um, and the woman had a great sense of humor. You know, she, you know, she, she really was, could tell funny stories. And that's the whole thing. Um, you will have guides that help you with this, but usually, you know, you've got. A protector, that's the, sometimes that's the invisible companion you know about when you're a kid. Um, then you have a spiritual growth guide. Uh, then you have a jokester or two. Uh, and then you will have guides who are there, they have certain expertise, and you've asked them to come share their expertise with you. Okay. Um, I've told, uh, I somebody in the chat room mentioned it, because um, I mentioned a while ago about a parking angel. Mm-hmm. And I call him my little parking attendant, and you can ask him to find you a parking spot. Uh huh. Yes. And it's interesting when you know it can be real busy and have you know I'll have uh, my other half and um, you know my mother-in-law in the car, and they're like, oh, we're never going to find a parking spot. I said, yes, we will. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting when you see these people driving and they pull in in front of you, and they're like, oh, they're going to get the spot, and they they go past it. Mm-hmm. And then the next car, you know, three or four cars go past that spot. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, nope. There we go. We got our our spot. She goes, "How did you do it?" I said, "It's my little parking attendant." Yeah, yeah. And basically, your guide helped you put your energy all over that space, so it became they didn't notice it. It became invisible to them, so they just went on by it. That is a very important property of energy. You can literally become undetectable to people. I mean, I know that the Pentagon wants to build stealth bombers and use all this technology. But if we truly understood energy, we wouldn't need half the technology or probably any of the technology that we're using. Because we really can do everything with energy at the energy level. We can communicate. We wouldn't need the Internet. We could communicate with each other if we really trusted and learned consciously to direct and develop our own soul senses. Because we're all unconsciously connected anyway. Group consciousness really does make a difference. And there have been many experiments about group consciousness, and they have actually had 
blips on needles of machines when when there's been a group consciousness experiment. You know, because energy does have mass. There's the same thing. Energy and matter are the same thing. They just are in different forms. So really when Einstein's little theory about E equals MC squared was published back in 1905, that's, what, 106 years ago now, it was all over but the shouting. I mean, to me, that is the equation that tells us we're immortal because we may not be in a physical form anymore, but the energy of our emotions, our souls, our feelings, our thoughts, our beliefs never dies. It cannot be destroyed. Just changes form. It just changes form. You know, and that's that's sort of because I'm kind of a you know being first in clairvoyance and second in clairaudience. I'm kind of that sequential sort of intellectual stuff that that you need a little bit of a mental grounding to accept it. So my guides know that and they help me with it. That's why I keep asking them a lot of questions. But I've long since un- understood and accepted that it doesn't have to be logical or rational to be valid. Because logic and, re- re- logic and reason are great, but they're not the end-all and be-all. They're simply tools that we as souls learn to use. Hmm, okay. Um, we have a couple of calls here. Would you like to see if we sure. can help anybody out? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Eric code 201, you're on the air. Eric code 201. Okay, we'll go back to 201 in a moment. Eric code 513, you're on the air. Hi, hi, Michael. Hello, dear, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm surprised you didn't tell them the story about my dad that you had come through. <laughs> oh, well, you can go ahead and do that, I guess. Oh, I'll save it for you because I chuckle every time you tell it. <laughs> okay, I'll have to tell that afterwards. Let, uh, let uh, Candace know yes. what's your first name, dear. Okay. Hi, Candace. Hi. I was, wanting, I was wanting to see if you pick up anything on my daughter's spirit. <sighs> my daughter's spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, not at this moment. Just keep talking. Okay. Okay. Just well, talk her about name, her name. Her name is Kate. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is 18. And I know she's very strong, strong-willed. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, haven't um, talked in a couple years now. Um, she was caught between a uh, very ugly situation, but. Um, Anyway, I, I was just wondering, you were talking about children and their emotions and things, and I was just interested to see if you could pick up anything on her. She's very guarded. That may be one reason I'm having difficulty. I don't. I will send my energy out, but if it comes back to me, I will not pry. Okay. Um, so in this instance, if you're not getting anything and you're trying and you're reaching out to her emotionally and spiritually and you're not getting anything, ask your guides to go to her guides. Well, I, I've done that. I've done that on a higher vibration. And I constantly have a dream. 
and I dream. She's never been where I am living now. She's never been here. But in my dream, I dream that I go to my front door and I open the door and she's there and I I embrace her and she looks at me very stern and she just says, we need to talk. And mm-hmm. that's the end of the dream. Well, I've been trying to go further and now I've, I've gotten a little further. I actually see her car pull up mm-hmm. when before I go to the door. Mm-hmm. <sighs> then... Kate has some – this is not – I know that, that you think this all may have originated in that, that bad situation you were talking about. Yes. That bad situation is a reflection of the issues that all of those involved had, all right? It, Kate brought some stuff in. That's why she's so strong-willed, okay? That's her defense for being pig-headed or being strong-willed or, you know, just really not listening to anybody – that is a defense because you're so afraid that your wounds will overwhelm you. Okay. So um, I would tell you to withdraw your energy. Okay. In- interestingly enough, it, you keep reaching out to her emotionally and you're pushing her away. Okay. She's scared of the need she can feel in you. What, what do you mean she's scared of the need? She's scared of your neediness. You're okay. desperately needing to re- to reconnect with her. Mm-hmm. She can't handle that now. Okay. There will come a time, like, you know, you're having the dream. That suggests strongly yeah. to me there will come a time when she can come to you and talk. You can help that be sooner rather than later by doing what you can to fold your energy and your need and your desire to be a mother. Fold that back in okay. and and understand that you are not abandoning her. She's now, you know, she's 18. She now has her own path to walk. When If you just can't stand it, instead of reaching out and trying to grab her energetically, Mm-hmm. Go through the indirect route, ask your guides to tap her guides on the shoulder, and let them come back and give you a report as much as they can because her guides will respect her privacy too. You know, they won't blab anything that she's really not wanting anyone else to know right now. So, this is a this is an the, her seeming estrangement from you is your own lesson in what a parent is and what it isn't. And the quicker you can let go of that neediness in you've got you know you you want to mother all over her, step back, allow her space emotionally and spiritually, not just physically. I mean, she's chosen the geographic solution here, um, where she's put physical space between the two of you because she needs the emotional and spiritual space. So when you keep running after her emotionally and spiritually, she just goes further. So, so you know, and this is this is the hardest thing in the world for you because every instinct says otherwise with you. You kind of like to smother people with emotion. She's got to have space, and she one reason she's your daughter is to help you with this. So pay attention to the lesson. Don't make it harder than it has to be on either of you. Okay. You know, give her some respect. She's a soul every bit as much as you. 
Okay. Okay. Well, focus I, on, focus I, on you. Focus on you. And if your energy gets better, it will be more attracting to her and other people, too. Right. Well, I think that I, I feel that she senses that my health uh, hasn't gotten any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have, I was going through breast cancer when she decided to leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have been given some some ultimatums and bad news with my health. And I guess that's why I'm really wanting to connect with her. Not for her support, but just to that, you know, are there any other mother things I need to teach her or give her before I leave? You know, if she wants them, she'll come for them. I assume that she knows where you are physically. Uh, yes, she, okay. she knows probably roughly. You know, does she, she know? Knows, does yeah, she know yeah. about your? Does she know about your health? No, no. Okay. Is there some way no. that you can you can just communicate to her? On a well, email? every every um, every, she has a new email address and. Every time I send her anything in the mail, it gets um, rejected from her father. Well, why is her father opening her mail? Um, Because she doesn't know she's getting it. And there was, uh, because I did send her some gift cards for Christmas, and um, he did intercept them. So one of the things that I did do is I, uh, I sent her a text, uh, just saying nicely that I hope she enjoyed the two gift cards, and I stated what stores they were from and how much they were, you know, were for. And I, I went about getting gift cards that I knew he would never get her, so that she knew that they were two places that she and I loved to go to. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he intercepted them and took them out of the card and just gave them to him to her on his own free will, but I just feel in my heart of hearts that she knows, and especially after I sent her the text, hopefully she knows, oh, they didn't really give those to me. Those came from mom, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I have got a reading, and I was told I was it was confirmed in a reading that that is exactly what happened, that she sort of is putting it together. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, I just want to be her friend. You know, I know that she's very intelligent, mm-hmm. uh, and she, you know, uh, I just want to get back in contact with her, and you know, just to be a supporter, you know, a, a cheerleader on her side. You know, let me. She's let never me. been. She's never been the type of child that you've had to come down on. You know, she's never been that type of child. She's always been the perfect role model right. as, you know, a child. All right. Now, the thing is that she has a right to know and hear, not just intuit in an intuitive mm-hmm. way. She has a right. You're her mother. She has a right, especially now that she's 18, she mm-hmm. has a right to know about your physical condition. Mm-hmm. So do you deal at well, all with that- well, the thing of it is, too, is I carry the BRCA1 mutation, which is the breast and ovarian cancer mutation. And so she has a 50% chance of having that. All right. But, well, you know, her, her father is afraid that that is just way too scary 
for her and if she decides that she wants to know and I totally I totally respect that. I said, you know, I I, I do. I have sisters that don't want to know. So, you know, but I just you know, I just I just want her, you know, I just want to be able to mother her and and be a friend to her. You know, well, here, we were here. inseparable. Do you communicate at all with your ex husband? No. Is there is there someone you know who will communicate with him? Um, that could possibly possibly I, be. If there's anybody you know who maybe knew you as a couple, or maybe um, one of your ex, you know, maybe may, I don't know. Are you friendly with any of your in laws? Are you totally estranged from that side of the family? Oh no, his his mother and I, uh, his mother and I have kept in touch, but. He has told his mother not even to bring my name up or Kate will no longer be visiting her. And well, she tells Kate, you know, she is your mother. She will always be your mother. And, you know, you you need to respect her for that reason. But he says, you know, I never did care for either one of my parents, so why should she? Isn't that a horrible thing to say to your child? Yeah. Well, all I'm saying is if if you can find someone who can in this time don't just write her a short letter. Okay. And just tell her what you need to tell her. And ask that person to deliver the letter. Put it into her hands. She has a right to know she's 18 now. She's she you know, she's an adult. She can vote, she can sign contracts. She has a right to know what your situation is, that you have this gene mutation, and then she can decide whether or not she wants to know, but she has the right to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's I'm time hoping for... that this fall, when she goes to college, you know, because I know she's going to Miami University, and I, I know that, you know, at least then she'll be getting her own mail. Well, you and know? then you can, you can write to her there. Yes. That's what, that is my... That is my goal and my plan. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, I called just to see if there was anything that you picked up on her, you know, as 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 to why. I don't even know why she quit communicating with me. You know, she just sort of said that she needed her, her time and some space. And that's, and ex- that that's it. it. That's exactly what I picked up on, the, the great big fat nothing. With mm-hmm. a father like that, she's closed down. The whole it, the whole blow up between the two of you has helped shut her down. But she she came in closed. All right. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's led to the exact situation that exacerbates her issue. But but have hope and have faith and remember your dream. At some point, you will meet again. Okay. Now, right now, take your focus off your daughter and focus on your health. There's not anything you can do for her right now while she's living under daddy's roof, all right? When she gets out of daddy's roof and goes to the university, then you can contact her there. Okay. Yeah, I've been given three different doctor's diagnoses, and it's not good, but I'm not worried about it. You know, I have a very strong faith, and like I've told them, no matter what I decide to do, I'm not going to leave this earth one minute before or one minute after my appointed time to leave. And that's just, you know, that's just the way I feel about it. And, 
I did contact him today, and I told him I will take one more test and one more MRI, and that's it. Nothing mm-hmm. else. You know, and they have to respect it, or I'll get another group of doctors. And that's just how I feel about it. I understand, and it's your health, your life. I respect that. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. you can just focus for these next few months on doing whatever it is, whether it's the traditional route or an alternative route or however you choose to heal yourself of your cancer and improve your health, that, yeah. will, do, that will do more to foster a relationship with your daughter than anything else. Okay. You know, your, your focus right now is you. It has to be. Okay. All right. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're welcome, welcome, dear. Thank you, Michael. You're wonderful as always. Thank, thank you, dear. We'll talk to you again real soon. All righty. Bye, dear. Bye. Oh, thank you for helping her out. Well, I hope I did. Um, it just was extremely hard. I'm not so sure that the father's energy isn't all around her, too. Um, Daddy's a bit of a control freak, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely controlling. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. we had we had talked earlier before the show also about, uh, because the, the name of the show here is Be the Light Now. Mm-hmm. How, uh, what suggestions do you have for the listeners on how they can be the light? Well, you know, in a sense, I've you know, I've already said, you know, we all get, we all suspect or have this sense that we are the light and of the light. Bringing, you know, enlightenment isn't this distant, nebulous ideal. Enlightenment, to me, has to do with the state of your energy field, and it's really nothing more complex or involved than removing the dark areas in your energy field caused by self-judgment and replacing them with the light of unconditional love. The more you do this, the more it's possible simply for you to be the light now. Again, be is not being is not doing. People here be the light now and automatically assume that there's something they have to do. Well, no, actually, we're talking about your being, which is the state of your energy field, which is the state of your beliefs, the state of your thoughts, the state of your feelings, this, the state of your, you know, your emotions, which are feelings with judgments attached to them. How? What is the state of your being? Um, what kind of person are you? Not what you do, but who are you? That's something that you want to examine. But honestly, most people, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, most people would ha- rather have a tooth pulled or go to the IRS for an audit then sit down and consciously and deliberately examine who they are. You know, and I don't know, you know, there's a lot of fear involved in that, and and all I can tell you is the fear isn't real. There's no monster lurking within, within, and there's not emptiness inside. Within each of us is a rich trove of experiences and wisdom and love at the core because that's what we come from. So to be the light now, simply allow yourself to be. Allow yourself to explore who you are. Notice how you feel. Notice how those feelings result in actions. Because 
behavior is the last thing on the list here. It's the end result. If we want to change our behavior, we first have to change our being. We go we go entirely about this the wrong way. We think if we if we if we do something kinder or if we if we save the whales, then you know we're doing something spiritual. But the spirit isn't in the doing. The spirit is in the being. So who are you? Are you kind? Are you considerate? Are you gentle? Are you a bully? Are you a busybody? Okay. And how would you? Um, for anyone right now that you know, if they're wanting to get started on doing the change, what's the easiest way to begin? Um, I don't know if it's the easiest way to begin, but one point is simply to ask. Say, you know, I am wanting to change and grow. I would like help. I need help. Please help me. Say, please help me. Don't just say, I need help. Just say, I am willing to accept help. And then be willing to accept help and understand that this help will be <clears throat> this help might not be in the way and shape that you think it is or expect it to be. Let go of your expectations. Because one of the things that if you want to attract anything into your life, a helper, a teacher, a lover, uh, a friend, instead of pushing like that poor woman was doing with her energy to her daughter, sit back, take a take a breath, chill, and just allow um, be the antenna. Be the receiver. That's the hard part. That's that's also what you have to do if you want to learn to consciously use your soul senses. It's the opposite of how we've been taught to uh, learn and do. Um, we're told to push, 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 try, 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 you know, more effort, more effort. You can't attract anything when you're pushing out energy. You stop doing and start being just being with yourself, allowing help in, allowing your guides messages in, allowing God's love in. You know, it's it's a completely different approach to everything we've been taught is valid. Hmm. The the energy we we keep talking about, does it work as a system, so to speak, or does it have its own laws, uh, you know, that it has to follow? Um I don't believe it has laws. I believe that that what you have, you know, you have that duality of energy. You have at one pole, you've got the the positive electric energy, the push energy. At the other pole, you have the magnetic attracting energy. One of the reasons we find it so hard to attract, uh, apart from our conditioning and programming, is that our emotional bodies are the field from which we attract. And that field is wounded and fractured and harmed by all the self-judgments that are clinging to it. So no wonder most of us don't attract all the things we think we desire because our our emotional bodies literally are not in that good a state to attract. So focus on your emotions. Again, you are not you, you you're not what you think. Your reality is determined by how you feel, specifically about how you feel about yourself. Are you hard on yourself? Do you, you know, do you hear that little voice criticizing yourself all the time in your head? Um, do you go to the opposite extreme and say, "I'm the greatest thing in the world" as a method of denying how hurt you really feel? That's narcissism. That's just as he- that's not helpful. You know, 
that's a pathology of people really trying to to pretend that they're just the greatest thing since sliced bread, but they don't really feel it. It's a it's a coping mechanism, but it has its real downside. So again, focus on how you feel, and be honest with yourself. You know, you don't have to tell anybody. And I will say one thing: there's no such thing as a quote unquote bad or unspiritual feeling. God is love. Guess what? Love's a feeling. If God is love, then there's no <laughs> there's no cause for you to be ashamed of anything that you feel. And again, if you're ashamed or you think a, a feeling is unspiritual, you will tend to deny and ignore it, and you can't grow or heal if you're doing that. You know, too many of us are really expert in emotional dishonesty. We don't really want to face what we feel. But the only way I've found to really heal is to face it. I mean, I spent the past two two years just, all right, what what am I really feeling? You know, what was what did this crisis bring up in me? And I put names to it, and it was valid. And then I could do something about it. But as long as you're running around ignoring it and doing things and being busy and you know this that and the other, you don't have the space or the bandwidth to really sit and examine who you are and how you feel. Okay, well, thank you. Let's go ahead. We'll take one more call here and see who else we can help. If my switchboard will act correctly. There we go. Hello, Healing. How are you? Om Namah Shivaya. Namaste. Namaste. How, how can we help you? It's great to connect with you, Michael and Candace. You're doing such a beautiful job. I just love love your energy tonight. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm much, I, I support you, Michael, as, as you know and everything that you do, and all of us are going through a major transition, as you know, and it's up to us, as, as you're doing beautifully, Candace, and really guiding others to be self-empowered, which which is the key for us that to, doing the healing work, mm-hmm. and you're doing a beautiful job with that. Thank you. So, um, well, I'll be uh, just open and receptive to whatever the divine has to share, um, you know, because I'm making some action steps and going to a conference um, next month. That should be uh, quite beneficial, you know, in in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, it always helps to uh, you know hook up and, and meet up with with like-minded souls who who are trying and on their journeys and aware of their journeys. Yeah, I have the opportunity to meet Dr. Patch Adams in person. That would be that would be very interesting, and he's he's another physician who decided to to throw the rule book out and trust his knowing, and he was I saw the movie Patch Adams, yes. and it was obvious to me that that he was very very much first in soul awareness, because that doctor who stood there and says I study and I study and I still can't do it and you don't even study and you get it well that's the hallmark of person who's first in soul awareness. Because quite frankly, if a soul aware person hears it one time, they've heard it, and they don't need to study. It's infuriating for the rest of us who definitely have to study more, but that's right. a soul aware person. That's that knowing. Exactly. Um, it's, a, it's a great soul sense for a physician. Um, I've actually had physicians as clients, and I try to tell them that in addition to all those tests they love to run, they really need, you know, if you would use your awareness and your feeling or your understanding or your vision, it can tell you what ballpark to go to because 
nobody wants to be poked and prodded, and all those tests are really expensive. So if you know intuitively that this is the area, it's a blood, blood, you know, it's a vascular system problem or it's a kidney problem. If you know there, then you can test. I mean, right. I don't know. If, I don't know if you watch the the movie show House, but they go through the yes. whole whole rigmarole of testing and this and that because they won't use their intuition. Right. I mean, what would be a perfect brain, which I haven't met any yet, is a medical doctor that is also a medical intuitive. Um, I've, I've had them as clients because the only doctors who will come to me are doctors who already know that they're intuitive. They're just wanting some more help with it. But, yeah, they, 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 there are there. I mean, I've had one emergency room physician who told me, listen, I can, I can know and feel instantly whether or not a, a person coming in is going to make it. I just know. He said, I do everything I can to help them, but invariably the ones I know will make it, make it. The ones I know will die, something goes wrong and they die. You know, and I'm not saying, oh, do, don't do anything if you know they're going to die. You could be wrong, okay? You, you know, your intuition isn't any more perfect than your physical senses, but right. it is helpful. It's more information that you can then use your rational mind to evaluate. Right. Because myself working as a nursing assistant, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm having a hard time with the field, not just because of the lack of hours, but because of how I see the patients suffering or getting worse because of the way the system is. Like in the nursing home, I see them come, a 103-year-old patient come in, and then they start eating the food and taking the meds and their energy and everything just goes down and there's mm-hmm. nothing much I can really do about it because it's the system. In in the home care field, they don't like strong patient advocates, which I've always been. You know, I've always been a strong advocate for, for the kids, my kids, but also for the patients is important because they can't always speak for themselves. Right. And the only thing that you can do for them in that situation, I mean, I'm not saying don't be an advocate and speak up. Use your energy to speak directly to the patient. They can't stop you from doing that. So at the energy level, send them love, respect, good good energy. And at the physical level, just smile or pat them on the wrist, something that's you know perfectly acceptable. Squeeze an arm. Just those little gestures with, combined with your energy will do wonders. And it may not be noticeable. This is kind of stuff that has to be under the radar because you know the powers that be won't accept it. Right, exactly. Because I'm, so I'm, I'm an empath healer and, you know, a gifted healer, so I know what you're saying. Yeah, so do it under the radar. I mean, you know, what are they going to do, shoot you? That You know, they won't even know what's going on. Yes, the whole medical system, frank, quite frankly, is about to collapse in on itself because it is absolutely unsustainable the way it is now. Um, and, you know, we're going to have to learn that if we want to heal physically, we must first heal emotionally and spiritually. Right. Now, with with the DNA changes and, th- and energy changes that's going on over the next few years, will it get to the point where the medications that they are having on everyone's throat will cease to be functional at all? I think it will happen on an individual basis. Um, I know for myself, if you were listening in earlier, you know, I've had medications. In fact, I'm now, since I got rid of the frustration, I'm now off blood pressure medication. Mm. In fact, when I was on my blood pressure medication, my blood pressure went to 106 over 58. That's getting a little low. 
Um, now, my doctor's office is real pleased because they're insanely insisting that people have blood pressure so low, but I know that at that point I cannot function. Right. So I've taken myself off my blood pressure medication, and I'm, my doctor and I are going to have a little come-to-Jesus meeting because I won't have <laughs> – well, I won't have it that – you know, and she's, right, she's exactly. reasonable. But, you know, absolutely no, – you know, you've got to get to the point where you trust yourself. Now, I do trust myself. It's not that I don't make mistakes, but I do trust myself, and I trust my guides, and I trust my healers. And if I ask them to help me and to, you know, find out what the problem is, you know, they will do it for me. It, and then it's up to me to pay attention and listen. But I know I can get help. I know I can. And there's not, you know, sometimes I say, hey, I need Western medicine for this, all right? And I'll right. go and get Western medicine. But there are other times when Western medicine can't do anything. And the trick is to know when is which. Right. Exactly. So be be your be your underground subversive. You know, send your patients love. Pat them on the shoulder. You know, the wrist, um, put in just a quick, quiet word. Like, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, if there's something going on, you can just say, hey, I'm rooting for you. Go for mm. it. Or, you know, good luck, best wishes. You know, just anything like that. You know, that's stuff that you can do. And it's really, it, it, believe me, it makes a difference. Um, right. I'll, t- I'll tell you a little story. Um, my partner had, you know, we found out that she has atrial fib, and I didn't know what it was back then, and I was really scared, and she had the flu, and they put her in the hospital. And just this one little nurse, I was finally, you know, going home, and I was all upset, and I was walking out of the hospital late at night, and this one nurse smiled at me and took my hand and said, we'll take really good care of her. You come back and see her tomorrow. You have no idea. I mean, I remember that. You know, it's now been six years. I remember that to this day. That one act of kindness and compassion, because that's exactly what's missing from our medical system, is any kind of kindness and compassion. Candace, I would love to have you on on my show, and you too, Michael, you know. Then on my show as well, on uh, Be Love Now on Blog Talk Radio. Be Love Now. Well, you know, as you've all found out, I can talk your ear off if you let me. (laughs) Uh, That's fine. So does my co-host, although she's in the process of moving. So that's fine. Michael, you, okay. have, you have my info, Michael? You uh, no, go ahead and e- uh, email it to me, and I'll go ahead and um, send it to Candace also. Thank you. All right, um, I'll, I'll give it to you here. You can give it to her. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, like I said, go ahead and email it to me, and then I'll go ahead and I'll email it to her also. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I got it. I'll go ahead and send it from here. Well, thank you, dear, for tuning in. And uh, anything else we can help you with? Um, well, you see anything specifically for me um, financially? You know, because I know there's a few steps that I, I'm taking the action steps that I can see, but you know, everything has manifested as of yet. But I can see things happening. I think going to this conference it, it is going to open up a lot of doors for me. It's in the middle of April. Just my my suggestion is always, you know, in any kind of thing, is to just be as open and receptive as possible. You know, finances are an energy too. So when you open and and are receptive and welcoming, it gives them space to come in. Sounds good. So I'll talk to you soon, Candace. 
Thank you. Love, love, Have a great night. And love, 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 Michael, as well. You too. Thank you. Well, Derek, thank you so much for two wonderful hours. Well, thank you for letting me talk your ear off. It was very enjoyable. I hope it helped. Oh, it helped out a lot of people because a lot of people were definitely uh, commenting in the chat room on um, how much help it was and giving them the confirmation and the information that they were looking for. Good. And what's one uh, the easiest way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, they can go to um, – well, that, my email is uh, guidescoach at gmail.com, or they can go to the website um, www.greenstoneofhealing.com. It's all one word. That's They may have a place to get in touch with me there. Okay. Well, uh, I look forward to contacting you again soon and getting you back on the show, and we can continue talking more and helping people to – uh, along this wonderful journey we call life. Right. Thank you. You have a You're great welcome. great evening and night. Thank you, dear. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Uh, until tomorrow night, I don't have it offhand right now who my guest is. I do have another wonderful guest, of course. And don't forget, on the 27th, Toriella. It's going to be a fundraiser, an hour-and-a-half show with Tori. We're going to be doing a lot of, inter- a lot of uh, readings. So it's going to be a fundraiser event for that evening. So until then, everyone, know that you are loved because God loves you and so do I.